see. So uh, the Schlafman party Saturday night, that's them back in the corner. So wave. If you're wondering, if, you, if you're like me and you want to know whose house am I going to, I want to <laughs> scope them out and take a look at them. And is that a house I want to go to? And if you're concerned and you're just looking at Paul, he's looking a little sketch, then you look at Deanna. She's nice and smiley. So then you're like, yay, I'll go to that house. That's the end of our summer palooza. We've just done a lot of fun events uh, this summer, so we'd love to have you join us. Um, it's going to be some food, lots of fun stuff. They've got a great property, lots of fun stuff for the kids. So really, it's designed just to be a place for you to get to know some people at the church. I know if you're new, coming to a church when you're brand new feels weird. You're like, I don't know anybody, and who am I going to talk to? And, um, and then they always do that thing where they say, shake hands before you sit down, and I hate that part. And so this would be a great opportunity for you to just come in a fun environment, get to know some people. And then Baptism Sunday, next Sunday, we want you to join us. We will have some chairs set up out there, but it's always helpful if you bring some lawn chairs from home. Um, and uh, if you know of anybody or you are someone who's never been water baptized, it's just a profession of your faith. It's just publicly saying, I believe that I have been saved by Jesus Christ and I want to live for him. And really, we do water baptism um, uh, some churches will do an infant baptism. We do water baptism when people have made a declaration of faith to follow Jesus, and it just signifies you get lowered down into the water tank, signifying your old life is gone and your new life has begun in Jesus Christ. And so if you would like to do that, we'd love to have you join us. And if you can, register online. But here's the deal. Here's behind the curtain a little bit. The Homestead Way is we say that, but none of you ever register online for stuff. <laughs> We'd love you to do that. The Schlafmans would love to know how many people are showing up, but yet people just show up, and we always have to guess on the food. And But baptism, if you just show up on Sunday morning and you decide you want to get water baptized, we'll, we'll dunk you. We'll take you. We'll do it. We've had a couple of times where people just, as, as a response from sitting in the service outdoors at the end of it, they said, I want to get baptized. And there's been kids who said, yeah, I want to do this today. And sometimes for kids, it's a scary thing where they're like, I don't know what that is. And then they see it happening. They're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. So... We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go last minute on the baptisms if you want. I mean, you can sign up if you want to. But um, So if I have not met you and you're new here, my name is Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christy, and I are the pastors here. We would love to get to know you. We've had lots of new people joining us over the summer. And then Christy and I have been gone a lot this summer. And we've um, fittingly, and we, we deserve it, we've had some people give us a little grief introducing themselves to us, saying, you look new. This must be your first day here. And um, That's fine. We, we receive it. We, we need it. So. But I'd love to meet you after the service if you're new here, get to know you, let you know anything, any info you want to know about the church, we'd love to help you out, get your kids involved in some things. And um, So that's it. Um, we doing good? Okay. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're going to work on, Homestead Church, is that I'd love for you to be a little, you know, a little more awake, maybe a little responsive. It's okay to say an amen, right? So, so let's just practice. Say amen. 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 That's good. Now, that, that was robust. That's good. Uh, <laughs> That's about the max we're going to get in Minnesota, I think. And so um, it, I would love, you know, I just, I encourage you to be, be responsive, be, um, it, it always, it always helps me out. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be the pastor that says, turn to your neighbor and say, baptism, baptism. <laughs> Nobody likes that, right? Yet preachers do it all the time. So don't make me do that. Just be a little, you know, say an amen once in a while, say, yeah, that's good. It'll be great best. Ah, man, it's great. You catch on quicker than the nine o'clock or nine, nine o'clock. That's right. All right. We are going to wrap up our series in the book of Psalms. We've been looking at this through the summer and we've had uh, a lot of our staff pastors and some guest speakers do just a great job speaking through the book of Psalms. If you are new to us or new to this series, 
Um, you can listen online to past messages, and Stacy mentioned the Homestead app. Um, we have a Homestead app, which will keep you updated on all the current events and things coming up, and then you can also listen to past messages on there. Um, but we've done, we had a great summer looking through the Book of Psalms. We have discussed this, that the Book of Psalms isn't just one book that was written. It's a collection of writings, poems, songs, prayers written by many different authors over many different years. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at one of the ones written by King David when he had sinned with Bathsheba. Today is another one that we are going to look at written by King David, Psalm 57. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 57. And if your Bible is like mine, a lot of them have a little kind of subtitle right beside the chapter number kind of explaining what it was about. And, and this one in my Bible, it says, to the choir master. So this would have been a song that David, or that something that David had prayed that they committed to memory by putting it in a song. This would be something that they would sing together to remember how good God is and how good he had been. Because here's the deal. When David was walking the earth, King David, there wasn't the written scripture. They didn't have the book of Psalms. They weren't walking around saying, or they didn't have a screen to look at when the pastor said something. And don't worry, it'll be on the screen. To, rem to remember the faithfulness of God, they would commit things to memory and they would put it in poems or songs because we can remember things when they're in songs, right? We remember Justin Bieber lyrics way better than we remember, right? Like they're catchy, they're catchy tunes. He's Canadian like me. We've had, we've had people, yes, awesome. We've had people... Um, We've, we've tried to get people to memorize a psalm this summer, our scripture memory challenge this summer. How many of you have been successful with that? Is it just me and Stacy? <laughs> yeah? Okay, a few. All that to say, some people say, I can't do that. I can't memorize things. But if we put it to a song, which we should have done, then you'd have a much easier time remembering it, right? We can relate to that. This is the book of Psalms. This would have been how they remember how good God has been how he brought them out of Egypt, the character of God, the, the miracles of God. They would write these down and, or commit these to memory. And then years and years and years after David prayed this prayer, somebody put them, wrote them down so they would have a collection of them. And that's where we get the book of Psalms. But we're starting with Psalm 57, verse 1 today. And this is, and the subtitle says, To the Choir Master. So it was a song. And there's a, a tune that they mentioned. And then it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So that means there's a story behind this. This is when David was hiding from King Saul. So the story is that King Saul was the first king of the Israelites. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. His heart was not the most obedient all the time. And eventually God got frustrated with King Saul and said, I'm sorry I ever made you king. There's going to be a new king. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And then there was a time a little later on, and this is all in 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. You can read all these stories. And the story that we're talking about today is in 1 Samuel 22. But before that, God had spoken to Saul and said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. There's going to be a new king that's going to come, and he is going to be a man after my own heart. And then soon after that, Samuel the prophet meets all the sons of Jesse and meets King David, or meets David and said, that's the one who's going to be king. And anoints David that you will be king one day. Except David didn't become king right then. And after that, he, David goes out and defeats Goliath. And then he's doing all these things, becoming a great leader and a great man of faith and a, a man after God's own heart. The people are starting to turn their loyalty to David. But he's still not the king. Saul is the king. And people in power tend to want to keep their power. So Saul is very threatened by David. Saul starts finding ways to try to harm David. 
Saul is sending people out to kill David because he's threatened by this. So all of this is happening. David, who has been told by the prophet, God has told him, you are going to be king one day, not king yet. And now he's running away from King Saul, who's trying to have him killed. And that is what is happening when David writes these words in Psalm 57. He is in a cave, the cave of Adullam or Adullam. And again, in 1 Samuel 22 is this story where David goes through this and we can read about what he was saying in Psalm 57. David is in the midst of a storm. He's in the cave. He's hiding. He's fearing for his life. He has heard from God that he's going to be king one day, but he's not the king yet. And while he's waiting on God's promise, he's actually running for his life. The current king is hunting him and trying to kill him. And the current king, Saul, is actually his father-in-law. In-laws, right? It's just like, oh, man, I got a father-in-law, too. I say that because some of his friends are here and his daughter. Um, So David's hiding in the cave. He's got some of his loyal followers hiding, fearing for their life, fellow outcasts. And this is when David writes these words in Psalm 57. So really, if you're wondering what the message is about today, it's this. If you're ever in a season of just waiting on God, or you're ever in a season where it's like, man, this is hard. This is difficult. Where is God? I'm going through this difficult thing. You might not be hunted by the king today, but there might be something else that you're going through. Like, oh, this is difficult. And everything in me is trying to battle through this. And you're so tempted to just be like, God, where are you? Where are you? This is where David is when he writes these words. So this is a story about waiting for God to come through and still honoring him still believing in his goodness, even when it seems like he's forgotten you, still believing in the goodness of God. So there's three things I want to learn from King David in this psalm today. And we're going to start with verse 1. And it is this. David starts out with verse 1, says this. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storm of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. What I love, uh, first thing I want to point out is David starts this psalm by saying, be merciful to me. Other translations, it's have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. So if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about Psalm 51 where David was caught in his sin with Bathsheba, and he started Psalm 51 with those same words, be merciful to me, O God. And that's the first thing we learn about David in this story is he was humble. He was humble. David approaches God with humility. So two weeks ago, it was a result of David's sin with Bathsheba. We looked at Psalm 51, and he acknowledged, God, I need your mercy. Be merciful to me. God, I am a sinner and only saved and justified through you. If you were here two weeks ago, anybody remember that? Amen. Thank you. That was a test. We're getting there. We're good. We got about 25 minutes left to practice. Um, God or David was saying to God, I am humble before you. I am not thinking I deserve mercy, yet you give it. And that was the that was his humility from that psalm two weeks ago. Today, he starts that same humility in Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Only this isn't a result of David's sin. This is a result of David just being in a difficult spot. And he still starts with that humility. God, be merciful to me. 
be merciful to me. I need you. It's that same humility in very different circumstances. And what I pulled from that is this, that David is not going to approach God with any sort of entitlement, right? He's not going to say, God, I'm trying. I know you called me to be king and I'm trying to do the right thing. And yet Saul's trying to kill me. And you need to do something about this, God. Sometimes we've had those moments of prayer, right, where we think God is more like our associate. Like, hey, God, could you take care of that for me, please? David is not approaching God with that sense of entitlement. He is still approaching God with humility. God, be merciful to me. Deliver me out of your mercy. Not that I deserve it, and I'm certainly not demanding it, but yet, God, be merciful to me. I am in deep humility towards you, recognizing that you are God and that you are the one who can deliver me from this. If we ever approach God with any sort of arrogance or pride or entitlement, and there's been times where I've felt that in seasons where I do feel like, God, what, what are you up to here? Get to work, would you? You know, like I clearly the solution's right here. You're not doing anything. When we approach God with any sort of arrogance or entitlement, like I deserve these good things, God, you better come through for me. We're out of step. When we do that, we are out of step. We are forgetting the one with whom we are dealing. And that humility is required even in its times where circumstances beyond our control are causing us to be in a storm, we still have that humility. God, I don't deserve anything because you are holy. I'm a sinner. Yet in your mercy, you justify me. Yet in your mercy, you deliver me from these storms that I am in. That is our posture. That was the posture of David. And the first thing I want to point out is that he was humble. Now, however, notice that he wasn't um, I don't know, I can't think of the word right now. He just wasn't like withdrawn and be like, oh, complacent, like whatever, God, God's going to do what God's going to do. I'll just hide here. He was honest with God. We don't have to approach God with any sort of, I know, God, you don't want to hear from me. Here's me again. No, he's open and honest. What I love about the Psalms is there's a lot of them where people are like, where are you, God? This is happening and we've been praying for this. We need you. You can be open and honest with God in a time of prayer. If there's something you're going through, if you're in a cave season like David is, you're walking through a storm, you can be honest with God and say, God, here's what I'm thinking and here's what I'm feeling. And you don't have to, you know, make it all sound spiritual and churchy with God. Just be open and honest and saying, here is my struggle. Here is what I'm going through. Help me in your mercy. This is what we see with David. He was humble. The second thing I want to point out is that David is steadfast. David is steadfast. Steadfast is a word meaning like you're undeterred or unmoved or firm or resolute. Like I always picture like a, a boat battling against the waves and the wind, yet just straight on course, pushing through all the waves, all the wind, just like I'm steadfast. I'm heading in this direction, pushing aside all the, all the distractions. This is what steadfast is. This is what David is. He is unmoved in his faith. And so I want to read verse 2 again as we continue on. Verse 2 said this, I cry out to, mo to God most high, and then this line here, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now, again, it's important to know the context of where he's saying that. He is hiding in a cave, fearing that the king and his king's army is going to find him and have him killed. He's been told he's going to be king, and yet he's hiding for his life because the current king is trying to kill him. And that's when he says these words, I am confident that God will fulfill his purpose for me. 
I love that David acknowledges, God, you are at work. You're at work. You're still working in this circumstance, even when it feels like nothing's happening, even when it feels like things are going wrong. David's acknowledgement is steadfast. God is at work. This current circumstance has not stopped the work of God. If you are in a season where you're waiting for God to come through on something that you are praying for, if you're in a season where you are going through a storm, you're in the cave and you're just thinking, God, where are you? If you're in a season where it feels like all the enemy is around you and is just trying to trip you up, yet we can confidently say the promise of Scripture is true, that God is at work. Amen. God is at work in these circumstances. He has not stopped. He's not on a break. It's not like the construction, the road construction workers that we feel like, man, that roundabout on Highway 3 sure taken a long time, right? <laughs> if, if you're on any of the Farmington community Facebook pages, all anyone talks about is the grocery store and the roundabout on Highway 3. <laughs> That's it. And where to dispose of junk that they don't want anymore. I'm like, just do a Google search, folks. You can find it all on your own. But no, it's like... When you're around, I remember when there was road construction right outside our house on 195th that was the, the road right behind our house. It's inconvenient, right? You have to find the detours, and there's, if you live near there, it's noisy and dusty and dirty. And I remember the road construction. Our whole house was shaking at times, and it's inconvenient. <laughs> but yet you recognize, okay, there's, there's a purpose to it. But what gets frustrating is that if you're over there living by the roundabout on Highway 3 and you go out there and, like, this is sure inconvenient and nothing seems to be happening right now. Everyone's just standing around and you're like, I could take the concrete and pour this road right now. And you keep thinking, like, guys, let's go. This is inconvenience. This is an inconvenience to me. And yet it's not moving fast enough. We can relate to that. Yet we sometimes do the same thing with God. God, I know you're at work. You say you're doing stuff, but nothing really seems to be happening. You must be on a coffee break or something. You know, union workers, God, you know, taking all the mandated breaks. This is not what David is doing. And we have to learn from David in this. God is at work. God is at work. When it doesn't seem like anything's being accomplished, when it seems like we're on a detour, when we're in a season that's inconvenient, we got to be like David and confidently say, God, I know you are fulfilling your purpose in this situation. I know you are fulfilling your plan for my life. Our responsibility is just to stay faithful to God, and God will fulfill his purpose. So don't give up on that promise that God has given you. Don't give up on the thing that you're praying for. Don't give up because you think nothing's happening and that God has forgotten you. God will fulfill his purpose for my life. This is a great confidence for us today. God is working. Verse 5 through 7, this idea that David was steadfast. He says this in verse 5 through 7. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. David's acknowledging the very real dangers. The enemy's trying to trap him, trick him catch him, right? They've set a net for my steps. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. And then I love this change of tone. My heart is steadfast. That's what we're talking about. Steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. A steadfast heart is determined to keep moving forward, to be resolute in your commitment to God. A steadfast heart doesn't give up when things are difficult, when things seem to be moving slow. There's actually two things I want to highlight. The steadfast heart is optimistic and it's faithful. 
A steadfast heart is optimistic, and we see this in David. I know that God is going to deliver me. There's never a word in there that's like, well, maybe God's going to come through. If he does, then I'll be a great king, but if not, whatever. No, it's I know that God is going to come through. I know that God will fulfill his plan for my life. Our optimism, our joy in being positive in life is based on the promises of God. There's a lot of reasons in our world to be pessimistic, to be down, to be discouraged, Yet the one core thing in our lives as followers of Jesus, the thing that should mark us above everything else is I am optimistic. I am joyful because I know God is at work. I know he is working. He will fulfill his purpose. And the second thing a steadfast heart is it's faithful. It's optimistic. It it looks forward with positivity into the future. And yet it's faithful in the right now. I will continue to honor God in the cave is what David is saying. In that verse, verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's his prayer. In the midst of hiding from the enemy, in the midst of wondering if he's going to survive, if he's ever going to become king, his one prayer is, God, I want you to be exalted. I want you to be glorified. I want everything I do in my life to bring honor to you. This is a steadfast heart of faith that stays faithful. In the midst of the cave, it's not a license to be disobedient to God. It's not an opportunity to sin or disobey. It's not an opportunity to say, well, God, you didn't come through for me, so I'm just going to do this on my own. A steadfast heart stays faithful and says, no matter what I go through, my day might be a hiding in the cave day or a mountaintop day or a storm day or a battle throughout this week. I want to encourage you with this. Our prayer every morning, a great prayer to pray every morning is what David did in verse 5 there. God, be exalted in my life today. Let your glory be shining through in my life today. In other words, I want everything I do today with my family, in my marriage, at work, with my kids, at school. Students, you can start every day as you're thinking about going back to school soon. I know that's not super fun for you kids. Us parents are more excited than you are about that. But you can start every day and say, in the midst of friends and drama and studies and tests and quizzes at school or workplace for the adults, whatever it is, you start the day with, say, God, no matter what I go through, I want to recognize you are fulfilling your purpose for my life, and I will stay faithful. I want you to be glorified in everything that I do. Now, that is going to shape us in every interaction we have, with every conversation we have. Anytime a decision needs to be made, if our focus is God, what brings glory to you today? How can I respond to this person today that will be a way that honors you, right? This is our way of saying a steadfast heart stays faithful. I will stay faithful. I want you to be glorified. If you know this story in 1 Samuel, you can read all like the chapters around 22 there. David had a chance to get back at Saul. David had opportunities to kill King Saul. While David is hiding and King Saul is trying to kill him, there was times where King Saul was um, somewhere and didn't know that David was there. And, and David's men is like, this is your opportunity, David. This is your opportunity to kill Saul. He's the one trying to kill you. You've been told that you're going to be king. And this guy's trying to kill you. So this is obviously, and they were even saying this is obviously God's provision. God has provided you an opportunity to take out Saul and you can become king. Like that's a very earthly, we would have thought the same thing, right? That's a very convenient solution. Yet David's first responsibility in that moment was to honor God. 
and not to take solutions into his own hands. So for us, that presents itself when there's an opportunity to climb the ladder at somebody else's expense or to be dishonest in an interaction or to gossip or to exaggerate or to do something that we know isn't honoring to God, yet it's really going to help us out here. If I'm just dishonest here or I just throw this person under the bus, then I get the promotion and things go really well. That's earthly thinking, right? That is not grounded in the prayer of David here. God, you be glorified in my life. And I love that David says that those opportunities where his, his friends are like, Saul's right there, sneak up and kill him. David says, I'm not going to dishonor God by killing the king. Like David ultimately recognizes God has still put Saul as king. He's still the king. God still has that authority. It is not an honoring thing to God in my life for me to take matters into my own hands. That is a great example for all of us, right? Amen. All right, we're getting there. Good. That is a great example for all of us. It's so easy for us to try to, especially when we think like God's taken too long in fulfilling this promise, like I'm going to do it myself, right? Like, you're, like, like when we ask our kids to clean the kitchen, it's like six days later, we're like, I guess I'm doing it myself, right? We can't do that with God. We can't do that with God. God is working, and we all ultimately all have to come to that conclusion of today I want everything in my life to honor you, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if there's a real simple solution there that I know God wouldn't want me to do it, but it's so easy and convenient. Or when you have other people around you saying, why aren't you just doing that? Ultimately, we are guided by God. I want you to be exalted in my life. Amen? This is what David did. He was steadfast in his heart. He still honored God even when he had an opportunity to solve the problem himself. Finally, I want to look at verse 7 through 11. And I mentioned it. There's like a real change of tone here. He was, um, it's like the first half of the psalm is him talking about the situation. I trust you, God, because the enemy's coming. I know you're going to fulfill. It's a lot of the details about God. You got to come through for me here. But then in verse 7, you really sense a change of tone. It's like he's kind of resolved his heart like God is working. I can be joyful. I can be thankful. And it says in verse 7 through 11, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I love that. It's, you know, musical imagery, so it's talking about actually, like, singing praise to God. A musical environment like we came into this morning. Lifting our voices, using musical instruments to celebrate what God has done. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I love that line. I will awake the dawn. It's like David is saying the sun isn't even going to be up, and I'm going to be starting this day by thanking God and praising God. I'm going to beat the sun to it, right? I'm going to, the sun's going to be up, and praises for me is going to keep coming forth. It's going to already be a day of praise and thanks. Verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Again, this is a guy hiding in a cave, fearing for his life. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. I will awaken the dawn with songs of praise because of your love and your faithfulness. The third thing we learn from David is David worshipped. He worshipped. 
you know, we see this psalm. David is crying out to God. There's a lot of this, like, God, I need you. I need you to come through. I need you to fulfill your plan for my life. But through all the stress of the situation, through the storm, through the hiding in the cave, I love that he ends in praise. He just recognizes even this, even the cave and hiding from my life is not a reason for me to not praise you, right? This is always a reason to praise God. I love that in the end of this chapter, he just comes back to God, you are good. You are good. It's like that humility we talked about two weeks ago in Psalm 51, recognizing, God, I don't deserve anything. I'm a sinner deserving judgment, yet you have justified me. You have paid the price for me, and that is all I need to worship. That is all I need for every day to be an offering of praise and worship to our God, right? And and I think those moments where we offer thanks and praise to God, if it's an environment like this and you're walking through something really difficult, and I know there are people in the room walking through things that are really difficult right now. When in those moments, in those cave moments, we still are defiant in our worship and we say, God, I will still praise you and honor you and thank you. Those are the moments of worship that I just think are such a, a sweet offering to our Lord, right? We can be half-hearted and complacent in worship sometimes where it's like, oh, here we are. It's, I can't really see the screen. I don't like this song. The drummer's too loud. You know, all those things, right? We can get so distracted in all these things. When we get down to the heart of it of God, I deserve judgment, and yet you gave mercy, I deserve to be far away from you, yet you brought me close and adopted me in as a son and daughter of God because Jesus died and rose again. These are the things that cause us to say, no matter what the day looks like, cave, mountaintop, in the storm, in the valley, in the desert, whatever it is, there is always a reason to praise the Lord. And it is good for us to praise the Lord in the middle of these storms that we go through. There is always an opportunity to sow praise and to sow thanksgiving. Is there ever a day that God is not worthy of our highest praise? There is not. And when we can worship in the midst of the storm, I just think God is so pleased with those offerings of worship. There's been times where Christy and I have gone through really difficult seasons with our kids or career changes or times where we're wondering how we're going to make it financially. And those were, the, those were the catalyst of some of the most meaningful times of worship for me, just because I remember it was a time where I'm like, I am, I don't know how this is going to work, but I will praise the Lord. I will sing. I will awaken the dawn with praise. And that is times where I believe that God was really, like, he's, he, it felt so close to me because in that moment of trial, I was offering a song of praise. My parents live in Zambia in the school year, during the school year in southern Africa. They teach at a college there. And Christy and I went several years ago. And there was a time we were doing some music work with the students there. And there was a time where just a, a small group of students, and I'll never forget this moment, a small group of students got together and just began to worship together. Somebody sat at the keyboard and played, and they were all singing. And I remember the song that they were singing had, you know, the words they just kept repeating, Jesus, you are all we need. Jesus, you are all we need. Jesus, you are all we need. Now, that hit me like a, like a smack in the face, right? Because that's, we get, again, we get complacent in our worship here. We've got all sorts of stuff here. We can, we can do just fine without Jesus in our life because we're like, we got money, we got resources, there's food. There, well, not in Farmington because there's no grocery store. But we got food available if we go to one of the other cities and check on Facebook, they'll tell you where to go. And um, No, we, 
It's, it's a different offering of worship. When you are singing, Jesus, you are everything we need, and you are among the poorest people in the world as these students were in Zambia. I was blown away by that moment of just like, wow, that offering of praise that they are lifting up to God right now, Jesus, you are everything we need. I'm thinking, they don't have anything, right? They, they are, um, they need Jesus, like, to provide food, like, their, their everyday needs of food and shelter are always in question. And yet they're standing there thanking Jesus for his faithfulness. And I just thought, man, I am way complacent in my worship at times because I have so much. And yet I'm just like, oh, Jesus. It just, it becomes very complacent. When we offer a song of thanks to God in the midst of the cave, that is when God is most glorified in your life and through your life. Amen. Worship sets our hearts right. Worship acknowledges, God, you are God. You are the only one who can get me through this. It puts us in a posture of surrender and thanks. And when we choose to do this in the middle of the cave, it's like we're just being defiant against all the plans of the enemy to trip us up, and we're defiantly declaring our faith in God. He will be faithful. He will accomplish his plans for my life. He is good no matter what the day brings, and I will honor him and thank him no matter what I have to walk through. He will fulfill his promise for my life. So as we close today, I just want to highlight a couple of things. As you read Psalm 57, you can kind of sense that David is kind of just acknowledging two things, that God is my refuge and God is my deliverer. So refuge means like safe in his care when we're in the midst of the storm. Deliverer means the only way out of the storm. So while we're in the storm, whatever you're walking through today, in your family, in your career, whatever is causing you to... You know, that thing that when you think about it gives you that kind of anxiety in your soul. Like, oh, that's right, that's right, i got to be worried about that. I've, I have those things. When we're in the storm, we can find, I love the imagery. It says, under the shelter of your wing, under the shadow of your wing, I take refuge. Like a, like a mama bird and the baby bird. The mama bird is just sheltering it with the wing, just saying, you're safe, you're safe. Nothing's going to harm you, you're safe. This is the refuge we have. We are safe under the competent care of our all-powerful God. So that's you today. Just imagine in the middle of the storm, the cave, whatever it is that you are battling through, God is your refuge. You are safe in his care. And the second thing is God is your deliverer. He is the one who will deliver you from this cave, from this storm. So real practical here in applying it to your circumstances in your life, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. How can this affect your daily life, your everyday life? How can your life feel different and look different when you acknowledge God is my refuge, I'm safe in his care, and God is my deliverer. He's going to be the one that's going to accomplish his plan for my life. Man, there's a rest and a peace and a joy there. That is when we can defiantly worship because we recognize God is working. He is doing like. That affects our level of stress and worry. That affects your physical health when you recognize you are being cared for. God is your refuge and deliverer. And so often we try to find 
refuge in earthly things. So we're not, we're not walking closely with God or we just don't trust that he's taking care of us or he's not doing it the way we think he should. So we, well, if I could just acquire enough wealth or if I could just acquire enough security or enough people around me or make circumstances just this, then I'm going to feel secure. And man, how many times have we been chasing after that to find out it's never accomplished through the things of this world. We're never cared for by the things of this world. Yet when we say, God, no matter what, even if David was not hiding in a cave, because the cave is probably a pretty good shelter at that time, right? The cave is not what was giving David his safety. His safety was coming because God was his refuge. God was looking out for him. David could have been standing out in the middle of the field waving his arms, and God being his refuge, he still would have been safe and protected because our safety and our refuge comes from the capable care of our God. So in your life, acknowledge, God, I rest in your care. I trust that you are working in my life. And when it seems lost and broken, where it seems like I'm in hiding, God, I trust that you are fulfilling your purpose. And I want to encourage you, don't veer away from faithfulness or obedience because you feel like God isn't doing what he should be doing. He is watching over your life. So let's close in prayer this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. God, it is, again, humbling to think that we are here in this building, in this community, in this part of the world, on this random Sunday morning, and yet the God of the universe is with us. The presence of God is here that we can sing worship to you and we can present our needs to you and we can sense that you are watching over our life, our individual life, the God of the universe who created everything, eternal and all-powerful. Lord, that is humbling, yet we are so grateful for your presence in our life that we can come to you when we are scared, when we are at the end of our rope, when we don't know what to do, and we just say, God, I need you to fulfill your purpose in my life. I will trust you. I will stay faithful to you. I will be steadfast in my belief that you are good and that you are working, and ultimately you will bring about my deliverance for your glory and your honor. So, Lord, we pray that you would do that in every situation and circumstance that's here today. And can we just do this as we close? Just with our eyes closed, just express our thanks. As David did in Psalm 57, just end this time by just saying, God, we thank you. Thank you that you are faithful. Your steadfast love is reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Awake my soul to sing. I will awaken the dawn with praise and worship to our God. I will sing and make a melody because my heart is steadfast in the goodness of God. I see the evidence of your goodness in every area of my life, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thanks for building this church. Thanks for all that you're doing in our lives. I pray that you would be glorified and honored in everything we do today and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church, for being with us. We're so glad you're here. If you would like someone to pray with you at the end of service, we'll have some prayer team members up front. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you outside next Sunday morning.